Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly, where today we are talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 5, the examples and some of our regular listeners will see that this episode released a little early in the week we usually try to release on thursdays but we're releasing this one a little early so we can get caught up because we took a week off for the holidays at the end of december 2021 a year we're going to be glad to see the backup yeah (laughs) yeah let's talk about the examples uh vicky did you like this episode i did not like this episode I liked some parts of this episode and other parts of this episode, not so much. So tell me what you didn't like. We can talk about the episode in detail. Although I appreciate the storylines. I found this episode to be very soap opery, And I know that's not a word, but that was my feeling. And I find myself rolling my eyes and saying, <laughs> we get it way too often. We get it. Saru, Mrs. Kaminar. We get it. We get it. Book and Burnham have a past together. We don't need to hear about the never-ending Book Burnham escapades over and over again. We get it. We don't need constant reminders. We'll talk about Tarka when we get to Tarka. My goodness. (laughs) I just, ugh. Yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. There was scene after scene after scene where I found myself pulling back going, don't do it, don't do it. (laughs) Right. I mean, really, is Saru going to caress his Kaminar pin every episode? So we know he misses it. So that we know. We know. We know. Yeah. And you know what? I have to tell you, as we discussed at the very beginning of the podcast here, we're catching up from the holidays. So I watched the examples and then immediately watched the next episode, which is called Stormy Weather, Mm -hmm. and had the same reaction for that one, too. And it occurred to me after watching that one, who are they gearing these episodes and the writing towards? Because it suggests that they think we're not smart enough to clue in. Exactly. Or that we need constant reminders. And who is that audience that needs constant reminders? Exactly. I'm a little perplexed by that. (laughs) But I don't know. You know, and maybe because I am not an audience of many things. I don't watch that much television. There are a few things that I focus on. I like the Marvel stuff. Yeah. So I've been watching the Marvel stuff on Disney. I've been watching The Witcher on Netflix. Have we talked about The Witcher at all? I have every intention of watching it. I keep seeing it. Have I warned you there's a lot of full frontal nudity? I should say upper frontal nudity. That's a Netflix original, correct? Yes. Yeah. I'm always nervous when I watch a Netflix original because my son is always here. Right. I mean, there's no time when I could watch things that he's not right here. 
So I'm always nervous about starting a new one, although it's, it looks like it's something I want to watch. Over and over and over again, such that during when we watched episode one of season two, we took a bet as to how long it would be before <laughs> we got to see the boobs. And the male members of my hospital said, oh, they're probably not going to do this, this this time. And I'm like, really? 45 minutes? Yeah. That's when they showed up. <laughs> and I was like, see? And I will also tell you that when you start to watch it, the, the episodes are out of chronological order, which is confusing in the first season. Why? I don't know. I think they were trying to be clever. I don't know. Anyway, but it took about three episodes to get into it. And then by episode four, I was finally into it. And I was like, okay, I like this. Okay. But I had to watch it twice. I had to watch the first three episodes twice before, yeah. and only because the male members of my household really wanted to watch it, even after I said, I don't want to watch this anymore. I don't know if it's because they were actually enjoying the story or because they were enjoying what Netflix provides as far as nakedity. Right. <laughs> but once I did get into it, I actually really appreciated it. And the second season, they're actually doing in chronological order. I think so many people were complaining that this was confusing. Yeah. And so I am enjoying that as well. I could do without the boobs. They're unnecessary. It's not necessary to the telling of the story. It's not right. necessary to move the story forward. But apparently it's necessary to get the audience they're looking for. So there you are. Heads up. But anyway, my point of going off on that little detour was that yeah, I just don't see this kind of spoon feeding of information in a lot of other television that I watched. And is it more common in other television? I know you watch a little bit more than I do, or you have a wider variety than I do. Uh, no, I mean, there's some exposition when it's necessary, like at the beginning of a season. So you remember what happened the last season. I've never seen it this blatant. I just can't think of another show that it's this smack you on the head every week. Very interesting. Well, let's go into this a little bit more deeply so that our listeners who may not have seen this episode, and if you haven't, go see it because we're going to give spoilers now. Let's talk about where we're seeing this constant spoon feeding of reminding us of where the characters are. This episode, I will say, delighted me in all its references to past Star Trek stuff. So we start off with the USS Janeway mm -hmm. starship, which, of course, is delightful because that's Janeway from Star Trek Voyager. Right. The USS Janeway is communicating with the NSS T'Pau, which, right. of course, is a reference to... Uh, that's the original series, right? T'Pau was the uh, Grand Dom who oversaw uh, Spock's divorce. I believe Enterprise, too. There was a, an, a younger version of her. Yep, you're absolutely correct. The younger version of T'Pau in, in the Enterprise episode. Yeah. So so we have her. So the Janeway and the T'Pau are monitoring the DMA, which stands for Dark Matter Anomaly, which is the thing that destroyed Quajon mm -hmm. and is roaming around the galaxy being deadly. And then all of a sudden it disappears. And then it reappears a thousand light years away. And so they realize that this is not a natural phenomenon. It should not be able to do that. And that was, you know, dun, dun, dun moment when they realized that this has been constructed, whether on purpose or by accident, doesn't matter. It's no longer a natural event. It's not a, you know, a natural disaster kind of thing. It's a constructed something that is destroying planets. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, you know, I know this is two totally different things, but when we first saw the anomaly, and I remember talking about it because I originally thought, I didn't think it was naturally occurring. Right. We had that conversation. Yes. yes. I really hoped it would be. <laughs> but yes, I remember you saying that. But my first thought was the crystalline entity. And I don't know why, because it's two, oh. to two totally different things, really. Yeah. And I, I don't know why that was my first thought. 
I, I got to tell you, I'm very, very worried because now that we know this thing is constructed, that sets us on a path where you have, as far as I can see, one of two outcomes. Either it was created to intentionally destroy or it was created for some other purpose and accidentally destroys. And we're back to the same storyline as the burn. Yes, exactly. And I'm really hoping <laughs> Yes. it's not a, oh, oops, we didn't mean to destroy your planet scenario because, uh, I don't know, that's just not helpful. So, I don't enjoy that. And I would be very disappointed if that's the direction right. we're going. Which is one of the reasons why I hoped it was a natural phenomenon. Because if it's just a natural phenomenon, then they can do what I love. We've talked about this before, which is the coming together of all the great minds and the will and the desire to collaboratively stop this natural phenomenon from destroying them. Right. That's the kind of story I love. But now it's going to be about motive. Unfortunately, um, when the DMA jumps its thousand light years, it actually shows up really close to a colony that now has to be evacuated because they don't know whether it's going to be destroyed by the DMA or not. So out of a, an abundance of caution, they're going to evacuate this colony. So they send all these Federation ships to the colony to evacuate them, which is great. I love that part of this. I love the whole working together to save lives. Pure Star Trek, that's exactly what they need. Right. And there's some wonderful moments as they're discussing what they're going to do. And they mention, you know, what civilizations could possibly have created the DMA. And they mention all kinds of great civilizations like the Metrons, which were the advanced civilization from the original series episode Arena, where we got to meet the Gorn. Okay. And then the Nacine, which I did not recognize. I don't Do you recognize? No. Do you direct? Okay. And then the Iconians, which, of course, was another advanced civilization that we met in the Next Generation episode, Contagion, as well as a Deep Space Nine episode with the Jem'Hadar called To the Death. And then, of course, the Q Continuum. Yeah. I practically cheered when I heard that because I, I know the Q is very um, polarizing for opinions, but I love Q. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a fan, but I've told you that before. <laughs> yeah, I'm also a Waxana fan. So. <laughs> not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, but they also said they hadn't heard from the Q Continuum in 600 years, so it didn't seem like this is what they would do. So they were going to go ahead and classify the creators of the DMA as unknown species 10C. I'm wondering if that's going to come back later. We're just going to call them the 10C. Yeah, well, somebody repeated it, so I was assuming we were supposed to remember that moving forward. In the meantime, while they were going to all run off to go rescue the people living on this colony, Vance instructed them to take on this scientist named Tarka, mm. who was working on the spore drive with Aurelio. We remember Aurelio. He was Osiris scientist working for the Emerald Chain, who then turned against her when he realized she was actually very evil and violent. Right. And now she, he's apparently working with the um, Federation to help recreate the spore drive so they could put it in other ships. So it's Tarka and Aurelio. And Stamets has got a B up his because Tarka doesn't talk to him. And that was a little bit Stamets-y, but then the more he talked, the more I understood his point. It's funny. The more he talked, the more I thought, oh, Tarka's just like you. And yeah, that <laughs> point came up somewhere along the line too. But the way I understood it was this Tarka was using Stamets's research to continue with his own research. Right. And Stamets doesn't understand why he doesn't want to talk to him about his own research. 
Yes, and that makes sense. But yeah. on the other hand, that's what scientists do all the time. Yeah. You know, you're you're supposed to build on the research and the experiments and the knowledge that's been given. So, but yeah, absolutely. It would be a good idea if you have the originator of the ideas to touch base with them. But on the other hand, I that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, "Oh, this guy's just like you." So, <laughs> you're going to meet somebody just like you and learn more about how to become a better person. Exactly. That was one of the moments where I kind of was pulling back from the TV, "Please don't, please don't, please don't." Yeah. So then there's also a scene on book ship between um, Burnham and book, which was another one of those. My offspring would call it a cringe scene, but I hadn't fully gone into cringe. I was just pulling back, just thinking, please don't, please don't, please don't. Because book is very angry mm-hmm. because somebody did this to his planet. Mm-hmm. And so he wants revenge or justice or whatever. And so now we have this new layer of emotion where Burnham has to control his emotion before it was the the grief and depression, and now she's got to control his anger and desire for justice. Now, these emotions are not out of the ordinary, and they're perfectly normal. It was just another scene where we're spoon-fed it. Oh, I know, I know. Instead of just assuming that we get it. We totally get it. We can relate, we're empathetic. We get it. Exactly. And I think I said that last week. I was comparing Detmer's PTSD with book. And Detmer, we saw it. We saw it continue. We didn't have whole scenes about it. Yeah. We don't need a whole scene to tell us he's grieving. You could do that right. in two minutes. And the one thing that I think was really cool about the Detmer PTSD storyline is that it was woven in with the other characters' stories yes. rather than being a scene all by itself. Yes. And I think that's it right there. If they can weave in the anger and the frustration and all the stuff in other interactions, then it feels more natural instead of just, okay, we're going to have a scene now to show that Book is unhappy. And now we're going to have a scene that shows Stamets is unhappy. And now we're going to have a scene that shows us Culber is unhappy. <laughs> so they get to the colony and they're going to go about rescuing everybody, except they're notified by the colony magistrate that there are five people, I think it was, who were in prison and that they could not be released. And they were called the examples because right. they are set as examples of what will happen to you if you make mistakes and so they can't be released they're in there forever and we're not going to get them out so burnham's like that's not going to happen on my watch and she's going to go down and get them with book yes and meanwhile we have commander reese who volunteers to lead lead the evac team and (laughs) this is another moment where all of us in my family there's a scene where he talks about how he was evacuated and he wants he knows how these people feel and he wants to make sure they're well taken care of and all three of us were going oh he's gonna die isn't he I didn't even think of that, but yes, yeah. You know, he's just so pleasant and competent and happy to be there. And of course, that means he's going to die. Uh. (laughs) And he didn't. But still, this is what they do to us. Right. I don't think it was about us believing that he was going to die. I think, and we'll see it in the next episode too, they keep throwing in these little random stories. Yeah, I know. Crew. I know exactly what you're talking about. In the next episode, it was the most bizarre random story right. ever. And I was like, what are they doing? It didn't even make sense to this. <laughs> it didn't even make sense. <laughs> I mean, back when we found out that Oyo could hold her breath for eight minutes, that made sense to what was going on. Exactly. Y- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at eurekarewatch.com 
If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. Long story short, Book and Burnham being down, they're going to go into the prison. We get what you refer to as another example of their life history together before um, Discovery emerged from the time travel wormhole. We, we get, get it. it. And they have to um, battle some security defenses around the prison, which actually was kind of cool. I like that. I thought what they were doing was cool. Right. Um, and then we also have a scene where Stamets and Culber are talking and Stamets is like, oh, Culber, you're so tired. You shouldn't be doing so much work helping everybody with their mental health issues. And, you know, <laughs> and it's so obvious that Culber's got his own mental health issues. And mm-hmm. this is another scene where I was pulling back going, don't go there. Please don't go there. Please don't go there. Because it was spoon feeding us. There's something wrong here. Oh, my God. And but... we're going to have to address this. Right. This yeah. was the moment you said it. This felt soap opera Exactly. In the last episode, we got a little clue that Colbert was having some issues. And this week, it was like, boom. He seems like he's coming unhinged. I'm exaggerating. But (laughs) now, we just said that we don't need to be spoon-fed these things. But you can't go from this little, little hint to, boom, I'm a mess. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like their balance is all off. Yeah, exactly. I like what they're trying to do. There's just, there's the subtlety. There's no subtlety to it. Yeah. Anyway, and then we meet Tarka, who I've decided is one of the founding members with Stamets of the A-Hole Scientist Club. Ugh. You know, I'm so... And he was such a caricature and so two-dimensional. It was another moment. I was like, really? Exactly. I'm so tired of this kind of character. Please, please, please make him give him some depth. Make him do something else. Right. He's arrogant for the sake of being arrogant. Yep. And then he wins... Because he's Rysian. Right, and then he wins everybody <laughs> over without ever losing his arrogance. And then we got to the part where he ordered potatoes, and I was like, ugh, he's going to put his hands in potatoes. <laughs> I almost, I got to tell you, when he ordered, he was such a stiffness about him that I was almost thinking autism. Well, And then when he ordered potatoes, I was thinking if he starts to eat the potatoes, then we have we have an argument for an autistic person here who has to have this particular thing to help him stim, to help him think. No, I knew he was going to put his hands in the potatoes. Well, see, I didn't. I was, that's what I was kind of hoping for. And but yeah, he put his was, hands in it and then it was it, like, oh. It was gross when Richard Dreyfuss did it. It's gross now. <laughs> so, hands in Was fo- it better when Richard Dreyfuss pulled in all the dirt and the bushes into his basement? He wasn't putting his hands in food. <laughs> don't put your hands in food. I don't want to see it. So, in case some of our listeners don't know what we're talking about, we are refer- referring to the 1970s science fiction classic, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And then in case we missed that reference, we also have to get a bigger room. So what was this? <laughs> I know, I did that too. <laughs> I did make that note of that too. And I thought, oh, maybe I'm just imagining. Was this a Steven Spielberg appreciation episode? Yeah. I mean, For it's those cute. Who don't know that's a reference to the 1970s Spielberg classic Jaws. We right, need a bigger boat. <laughs> I mean, references like that are cute if there's some connection. If Steven Spielberg wrote this episode or something, I don't see any connection. So I don't know what that was all about. Somebody having fun, I hope, or maybe they didn't even know they were doing it at all. Oh, I'm sure they did. So anyway, this Tarka guy is like, well, he's eccentric. He's rude. He's pushy. So he's got some Stamets-esque kinds of 
behavior. Right. But and he's also brilliant and he has some ideas. Right. But there's something about the way that he goes it and his intensity, which, of course, makes you not trust him. Right. And just going back to where you said your first thought was autistic, and actually that was my first thought. I thought it was just he has an issue with social skills. But later on, he revels in his arrogance. Yes, he this, does. He this really is does. not. He, he knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. You're exactly right. So he uses the mashed potatoes to show that's the exterior of the DMA, and then there's a green pea in the middle, which is something inside of it. Right. Now, I don't know where he got that. Where did he get that? You know, how did he get that on Stamets? I don't know. It was confusing. To be honest with you, I realized a lot of the time while I was watching this that I wasn't paying that much attention. Because... <laughs> Which is not a good sign. It means no. you're bored. No, I was. I was dying for it to be over. Well, then we'll go ahead and move this forward. Burnham and Book get into the prism. They find the people there. And lo and behold, to no surprise to anybody... Most of the people there don't deserve it. Right. One person took a joyride, another person counted cards, another person traded in counterfeit latinum. All things that we are assumed as, as the audience to acknowledge is not deserving of a life sentence. Except for one of them. One of them has committed murder. Right. But he is so guilt-stricken by his murder that after they escape the prison, he says he's not going. He's going to stay. He's either going to stay until his jailers come back or he's going to stay and be killed by the anomaly that they're not sure is going to hit prison or not. And this causes a rift between Burnham and Book because Burnham's like, we're going to respect his decision and I'm not going to kidnap him off the surface of the planet if he's refusing to leave. Yeah. And Book's like, no, we should because we can't let anybody die. We can't let this anomaly kill anybody. And you can see both arguments. Yes. And for me, it was probably the most believable moment in the episode between them. Yes. Of the conflict between them because they were both right. Yeah. Then we have Tarka. This part was confusing. And so maybe I missed something. But he's going to recreate a realistic model of the DMA mm -hmm. in engineering using the power of the discovery while they're in orbit of an asteroid that is in striking distance of the DMA and could be destroyed. Right. Why did this happen to happen then and there and now? Why? why? I, I, that part just blew me away. Yeah, none of this made sense to me. And then why did he have to do it on Discovery? Was there no other place, like, I don't know, a research station, which might have the appropriate size generators to provide him the energy to do his experiment? The, the whole thing seems so contrived. Yes. <laughs> you know, they, they got this close to finding out what was at the source of the DMA, and then Saru shut it down because it was too dangerous. Right. It made no sense. I, I mean, of all the, you know, do, do not say Navarre have a better energy source that they could have done this experiment there? It just seemed to me there were so many places they could have done this. Yes. Why do it on Discovery? Right. And I can't answer that question. So Tarka was all upset because he didn't get what he needed. And oh, Stamets, by the way, was like all like falling into Tarka's accretion disc, like into his Tarka's black hole and becoming like him, which was kind of weird, too. Yeah. Once and it was Stam only uh, it was only Reno who was like, hello, are we are we back to the land of realistic, please? Why are we doing this? And of course, 
Zora, the sentient computer program, also was monitoring and finally said, oh yeah, this isn't going to work. And that's when Saru set it down. But the whole purpose of doing the whole thing was just very weird to me. It didn't make sense why it had to happen. Like I said, I found myself yeah. not paying very much attention. You drifted so, off. Yeah. yeah, I did. So finally, the uh, prisoner gave Burnham a, a what was called a Lalogi org, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was essentially like the family tree, like a virtual holographic family tree of the family of the man he had murdered and asked her to return it to the man's daughter. So Burnham did that and it was a lovely scene. It was a lot of screen time given to it yes, for something that really didn't move the story forward, at least not that I can tell. But it was very nice. There was one other scene that we haven't talked about yet that I actually did enjoy very much. And that was a scene, a very brief scene, but a good one with Dr. Culber and Dr. Kovich. Yeah, Dr. I, Kolber had apparently made an appointment with Dr. Kovic to get therapy for himself and right. then was like pulling back from it because, oh, now we know that the DMA is man-made or human-made or somebody-made and, you know, that makes people more stressed and I have to join them and Dr. Kovic is like, whatever, you know, you need therapy, I'm here, let's just get to it. And Kolber said he appreciated how Kovic worked with Giorgio and Kovic said, so you're looking for brutal honesty. <laughs> <laughs> And then he gave it to him. Yeah. You know, it was a great scene because I was thinking, I hope this brings this to an end. And he essentially said, you're wondering why you. You died and then you were brought back to life. And every day you are met with people who have lost loved ones. And what did he say? Your existence is the middle finger to everyone who has lost someone. Yes. I thought, oh my gosh. Right. Because he feels as though he has to be a savior. He has a savior conflict. Yes, exactly. And I thought this is, it was such a great scene. Such a great scene. Would that they would do that with all the scenes. Just give us the brutal honesty and stop with the spoon feeding of the little hints about somebody's problem. Right. This right there, you know, you said you didn't like this episode and I like parts of this episode. This is what anchored the episode in an area of good for me. This scene was so awesome. Right. I agree. It was, it was, it was good the- enough to make watching it good enough. The other scene that was really good was at the very end with Book and Tarka. Again, because it was direct. There was no dancing around. Book was like, I I loved what he said here. He said, you know who's behind the DMA, don't you? He said, because you came very close to going over a cliff, but you wouldn't have gotten that close if you didn't know what was on the other side of the cliff. And it it was great because then you get to see what Book is good at. He was a courier. He's smart. He recognizes people's behavior. You know, he's an empathetic person. He has these empathetic skills. He understands what's going on emotionally in other people. And so we get to see him using it. Yeah. And then he also sees the scar. Okay. What is the scar? Do you know? I'm guessing because my memory is not that great. Does that mean he was a prisoner of the Emerald Chain? That's a good question. Is that what that is? Is that that where the thing was that controlled them right back there? I think so. I don't remember. But I was thinking and thinking, and I couldn't think of anything else that would be. Yeah, that makes sense. That actually makes a lot of sense. Because I looked at it, and the only thing I could think of was something that had absolutely nothing to do with Star Trek at all. (laughs) My first thought was maybe it was something from Book's Planet. Then I didn't remember anything on the back of their neck that I recall. That's a really good spot. I think you're right. So I'm kind of thinking he was one of those people, like the people that they rescued from the uh, marketplace or whatever it was. Maybe, or affected his own rescue. Yeah. And he said he was working with Aurelio, so he could have been Emerald Chain with Aurelio beforehand. Yeah, true. So that's essentially the episode. We now learn that the DMA was constructed, and we have to find out who constructed it. 
and that was about it. Yeah, the only other thing that was just a little bit odd to me was towards the end when Book and Burnham are doing their remember we did this kind of thing and Book mentions something about them being just friends for a year and Burnham says she was trying to be professional. Why was it more important for her to be professional when they were just couriers? Good question. As opposed to now that she's the captain. Yeah. I just thought that was a little odd. I'm sure there's no answer for it. It was just a weird thing to throw in. Anyway, that's the end of that episode. Any other thoughts? No. On a scale of 1 to 10, what would you give this one? (laughs) Not going to go there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to give it a 6. Maybe a 5. 5 and a half. And only because it was saved by those two really great scenes. I'm thinking yours is a three. It's not the worst episode. No, it's not. I would I would direct you to exhibit A, Threshold. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is the worst episode. Well, Threshold may, or maybe, um, what was that last episode of the original series where like there was the woman who was angry that she couldn't be captain? That was like the most sexist tripe you've ever seen. I, I don't remember. I know which one you mean. Threshold. Turn about about intruder. I think I don't know. Threshold. I always remember the name of because every time I see a Voyager panel, they say the same thing and they cringe. They laugh about that episode. So I always remember the name of that. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so not as bad as that, but not a great one. Well, I could even think of ones worse than Threshold. Really? Like oh, what else? Good grief. The, I think it was the second or third episode of The Next Generation. The one where, what was her name? I'm drawing a blank. What was her name? Denise Crosby. Oh, Yar. Yeah. The one where Yar had to fight. A... Oh, that one is so bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then there's the one where they're on the angel planet or something. The girl planet. Angel one. That oh, was that one. Oh, my God. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's several contestants for the worst episode. <laughs> You're right, threshold isn't as bad. (laughs) All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap this up and then go rinse our mouths out. (laughs) So we invite our listeners to join us when we talk about the next episode, Star Trek Discovery, Season 4, Episode 6, Stormy Weather. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly. And on Twitter, at Moms Going Boldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter, at Ross Bugden. Licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. Transfer complete.